Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for October 6th is John chapters 2 through 4. In chapter 2, we begin with the wedding in Cana of Galilee, where Jesus turns the water into the wine. What is a wedding? Isn't it a union of two people, husband and wife? It's also a union of families. God often describes the celebration of his people being unified with him as a wedding. Christ is our bridegroom. We are the bride. The two become one and they will dwell together forever till death do them part. But there will be no death in God's forever kingdom. Water is commonplace. Of course, prophetically in scripture, it often refers to the Holy Spirit. But there's a special grace poured out upon the people of God. If God's Spirit is everywhere, he dwells even in hell, according to the Psalms, where David wrote, even if I went there, I couldn't escape your presence. But there's a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's on the people of God when it comes to salvation. Joel 2 prophesies an even more particular outpouring at the end of days where people are set apart to a greater degree and they're having visions and dreams. We saw the beginning of that on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And in the last days, there's going to be more and more and more of that. So changing the commonplace universal water to the wine that is set apart for holy use, that is used to celebrate weddings and other special events has some significance to it. In doing this miracle, Jesus showed his glory and caused his disciples to believe in him. After this was the coming up, it was leading into the Passover. Jesus went up into Jerusalem and in the temple, people were selling animals for sacrifice. They were changing money. There were were counters where people would go up and they would take their foreign currency and exchange it for a fee. Jesus made a whip and drove the people out. And the moment is described in Psalm 69 verse 9, zeal for your house has consumed me. The second part of that verse, if you were to flip back to Psalm 69 says, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. In other words, I'm so offended because you, Father, are offended. I am offended because the things that are taking place in your house do not bring you honor. Friends, think about, you would never go to somebody's house. If if you came to my place for dinner, you wouldn't come over and say, I think your couch would look better against that wall and start sliding it around. But we do this with God's house. We rearrange it in a way that makes it comfortable to us. How many of us ask God what he wants our worship to look like? We go to church and say, oh, I didn't like that song. I didn't like the worship. What a preposterous thing to say. Did it occur to you that we're not worshiping you? It's about him. It's his house. Zeal for his house should consume all of us. Chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. You must be born again. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, Nicodemus. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. 
just like you can't see the wind, but you can see the branches swaying because of it. You can't see the spirit, but you can see the fruit of the spirit. You can see the effect of its power. That's how it is with people who are born of the spirit, those who are listening to God, those whose hearts are tender before him, those who have been born into his kingdom. Now, there's a temptation for us to believe that Jesus was referring to a new covenant, that this being born again was a was a new idea. But then why did he expect Nicodemus to understand what he was talking about? When Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Jesus' response is telling, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? If I've told you about earthly things, being born again is an earthly thing. I thought being born again was a heavenly thing. But Jesus says it's an earthly thing. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? And then he goes back to Moses and Numbers chapter 21, when the people were sinning and they were grumbling and they were saying, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt to die? Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt instead of bringing us out here to this wilderness to die? God sent poisonous snakes into the camp and people were getting their wish. They had wished that they would die. So now they're getting what they asked for. And then all of a sudden they realized that they're getting what they'd asked for. I'd be better off dead. God's like, okay, here you go. No, no, wait. I'm seeing people die and I changed my mind. I didn't really mean what I said. Moses, pray for us. Ask that these snakes be taken away. Moses prays for the people, but God doesn't take the snakes away. He leaves them there as a reminder. And he says, when you look at this staff, you will not be killed by the snakes, but I'm going to leave the snakes there to keep you uncomfortable because you guys don't do well in comfort. You can't handle comfort. As soon as you're comfort, as soon as you're comfortable, you fall back into sin. Leave these snakes around so that you remember the people who didn't make it. But if you look to this one who was lifted up, you'll be healed. It was prophetic. Jesus was going to be lifted up. Of course, he's no snake. He took upon himself our sin, though, and it was his body that was crucified, that was punished, who took our discipline that we deserve and paid the penalty for us. John chapter 4 begins with the woman at the well story, but if you read verse 1, I think it's often skipped over. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making more disciples than John, he left. Jesus still knew it was not yet time for him to have this ultimate confrontation. He had a lot of work to do. He wanted to advance the kingdom. He wanted to teach people how to walk with God. And so he doesn't go for the showdown. He goes away. He left Judea and went down to Galilee. He meets this woman at the well. Think of her like the bride of Christ, also known as you and me, going about your daily business, not sure what life holds, but not really having super high expectations. You've gone through the motions long enough. You've failed seeking significance and acceptance in multiple relationships. None of them have really given you what you're looking for. Gotten to the point that you're no longer even looking for what you're missing. Isn't that the picture of most of us? Gone to church, tried different churches, tried these different Bible studies, read all of these different books, 
none of them seem to really have the answer I'm looking for. But friends, sometimes when you're not even looking for the answer, God shows up with the answer. When he engages her, she is thinking on a very physical plane. Sure, I'll take some of that water. It'd be nice not to have to come here in the heat of the day. I come here in the middle of the day so I don't have to see anybody else and they don't have to see me either. It'd be better if I didn't have to come at all. Give me some of your water so I don't have to come back here, she says. Jesus said, go call your husband. I'm not married. That's true. You're not married right now, but you've been married five times and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. Is that right? Sir, I I can see that you're a prophet. We Samaritans worship that way. The Jews worship there. Of course, it's a reference to the splitting between the northern tribes of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah that worshiped in the temple. The division between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans had Jewish heritage, but they intermarried. They became became diluted. They lost their heritage because of sacrifice and because of pagan worship. Jesus said, a time is coming when you will no longer worship God either on this mountain or in Jerusalem. But God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's telling. It's interesting that she had five husbands. What's the significance of five? What else do we have five of? Think of our five senses. We have touch, smell, taste, sight, hearing. Depending on our physical senses will always leave us longing for more friends. It will never give us fulfillment that we desire. We have to be willing to look beyond into the spirit realm to seek the whole truth and nothing but the truth, the unadulterated truth that is not compromised by false beliefs. I know this Messiah is coming, she says. I am he. All of a sudden, the woman forgets why she was even there. She sets down her water jar and runs back to the town. So moved by having encountered the purity of unadulterated truth that she can't help but share it. And it results in Jesus being requested by the whole town, just stay with us, just stay with us. We want more truth. The people were starving for truth and they didn't even know it until they got a glimpse of it. Friends, that's the environment that we're living in today. As we love people the way Jesus loves people, and we engage with them and we go deeper, we go past the surface level, we can go straight to the heart. Jesus goes straight to the heart. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Friends, we can be sustained by finishing the work that God has set out for us to do. There's so much work to do, friends. And it begins with getting the word of God into our hearts and allowing it to change us. So thank you for being here and congratulations on doing the hard work of being transformed into the person God wants you to be by the power of his spirit and by the word of truth. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow.